Horace and Catalina had moved to this new land in hopes of creating a life for themselves and a future for their family. They had a young child and another child on the way. They had created a paradise beyond their expectations. But everything had come crashing down when their leader had gotten involved in a war between the Mohawks and the Mohicans. The Mohawks had easily defeated them and the Mohicans were on the brink of being wiped out. Now they were trapped in their fort, their trade partners dead and a new enemy outside the gates. The cemetery had rows and rows of fresh graves. One of those graves was their leader. Everything had changed overnight. Welcome to the Church History Podcast. Today we're continuing our story of Joris and Catalina. But before we do, let me remind you that if you're looking for a voiceover artist for your YouTube video or your audiobook, to check out the link below and let me know that you are a Church History fan and I will get you a great deal. Okay, let's jump into the stories of Joris and Catalina. One day a ship arrived and on the ship was their new leader, Peter Minui. Now, Joris was well-respected in the town, and people were looking to him for guidance. He, along with others, met with the new leader, Peter Minui. Minui decided immediately the fort would have to move. He scouted out a new spot for a fort and told them they were moving. They would be moving to an island nearby, an island called Manhattan. Catalina had to pack up everything. The couple walked around the farm they had built. They would be starting again from scratch. Just two years ago, they had cleared this land, planted fields, built the home where their daughter had been born, and now they would leave it all. The summer of 1626, Minwi made a deal with a new tribe, the Wiskaskic tribe. They would share the island. Both the tribe and the Dutch would live together. They would protect each other if attacked, and the Dutch would buy their furs to trade. For the Wiskaskic tribe, it was a good deal. They would have a place to sell and trade their furs, and protection if attacked. They trusted the Dutch. For the Dutch, it was a good deal as well. The island was beautiful and could be protected. And the Wiskaskic tribe was peaceful tribe that they could work well with. The Dutch believed in law, and everything was to be documented and written down in legal manner. Horace and Catalina, along with the rest of the Dutch, watched as Minwi and the Wiskaskic tribe made the deal. The Wiskaskic tribe brought blankets and furs for the Dutch, and the Dutch gave the tribe copper kettles, silks, and guns, 60 guilders worth of items. And after the handshake came the party. Joris and Catalina began to hope that this time things would be better, and they were, for a long time. Joris and Catalina built a house on Pearl Street. The Manhattan Island was beautiful. There were strawberries everywhere that Catalina would love to eat and taking her children to the fields to pick strawberries was a favorite pastime. The family would walk the trails that went the whole length of the island. It was the most beautiful island they could have ever imagined. The Dutch named the trail Gentleman's Way. It was a favorite place for young couples to walk together. Today, that trail is called Broadway. Joris and Catalina had 11 children, and Sarah, their oldest, quickly grew into a beautiful young lady. And soon Sarah was walking Gentleman's Lane with a young farmer. And then Sarah, 
the first Dutch person born in the Americas was married herself and had herself a little farm in the area that is today Greenwich Village. New Amsterdam, which is what the village called themselves, had been founded on the same ideas the Dutch had, a high value in education, law, and most importantly, tolerance. And because of that, they soon found themselves with the same success as the Netherlands back home. But before long came the question, how much tolerance is too much tolerance? The idea of tolerance was the idea that you could worship God the way you wanted. If you remember the episode on the Thirty Years' War, at this point, Europe was in the middle of the French phrase, the bloodiest phase. Witch hunts, mass hangings were becoming common and death was everywhere. For New Amsterdam, the exact opposite was happening. Because of that, people were moving to the new lands for freedom. Soon, the Dutch community was full of many languages and many faiths. Poles, Danes, Turks, Italians, and even the English were moving to the Dutch community. Even Puritans, who had come over on the Mayflower, were now moving to New Amsterdam for freedom. No longer was it a Dutch town. There were now many religions and many languages. Even a prostitute came when she realized there would be no other competition for her. And the prostitute ended up marrying a pirate. And they had a small farm and raised the children that were fathered by many different men in the community. During this time, there was also a lot of smugglers and a lot of pirates. Joris and Catalina, along with their friends, became discouraged and wondered if things had just gotten too tolerant. It had become a godless place. Had tolerance gone too far? This was the question the church had to answer. How were they to influence the community around them? Should morality be forced legally, or should it be influenced by preaching and by hearts turning to Jesus? Then in 1640, the West India Company that was running the town agreed to open up trade to more companies, and that brought in more money. As the people became more wealthy, they became less concerned about the morality of the town. The West India Company sent in a new leader, a man named Will Keefe. He had one job, to find ways to lower the cost for the West India Company. We're going to get back to Will Keefe in just a few minutes. This wasn't the only question the church was asking. They were also asking about what role the church had in following the government. There was an idea spreading that the New Amsterdams didn't need to have a government by a man sent by a trading company. Couldn't they just govern themselves? Joris was part of a group that believed they could govern themselves, but this was an extremely radical idea and one the church was pushing back on. God raised up leaders and a good Christian followed that leader. Joris and the men on Manhattan Island were not the only Dutch who had this idea. A young man sitting in a university class in the Netherlands was having the same argument with his classmates and teachers. Leiden was a city that was thriving. Galileo was publishing his books here. The botanical gardens were creating new types of tulips, and people loved to walk amongst the gardens and marvel at the beauty. Science was making new discoveries every day. In fact, one of the things you could do in Leiden was watch a live autopsy so that you could see what it's like inside of a body. People were curious about the world and wanted to know how things worked. Some historians will say it is because people stopped believing the Bible during this time period. This is simply not true. Instead, it was the freedom to read the Bible for themselves 
and the ability to have a personal relationship with God, not controlled by man, that brought about freedom. And with freedom always comes significant advancements. You can see this all throughout history. Galileo was one of the people who definitely clashed with the Catholic Church. However, he also argued with secular scientists and often used Christian teachings when placing his arguments. We're going to have an entire episode later on Galileo. But it's important to note that it was not an anti-God or an anti-Bible that brought about this golden age in Leiden, but rather the freedom to think for yourself and not be controlled by the leadership of the church. But what if that freedom went beyond the church? What if people were also not controlled by a monarchy? For one young man in university, this was his argument. Adrian Vanderdonk was a young man studying law. He argued that our value came not from the government, but from God, and that if we were all created by God, then we were all equal before God, that the child of a king had no more value than the child of a peasant. He also argued that having one man running the land was wrong, and that people should be able to govern themselves. This was an insanely radical idea. Without a king, the world would be in chaos. Who would rule? Adrian believed that the people should pick a leader and that the leader would answer to the people. If the people didn't think the leader was making choices in their best interest, they could get rid of the leader and pick a new one. The teachers at the university were in opposition to this idea. They believed Adrian's ideas were dangerous and unbiblical. God appointed kings and queens to be over us. Adrian's idea was that the wrong person could be on the throne. That was to say that God could make a mistake. To say that the people should pick the leader was to say that the people should be in charge instead of God. But Adrian believed that the people picking a leader meant that all people would be equally valuable and that that is how God created us. But shouldn't the Christian always be in submissive to authority as we're taught by Paul in Romans? Adrian's idea made authority submissive to the people in exact opposition to Paul's teachings. You see, at this time, it was not an anti-God or anti-Bible argument that was rising, but a different idea of interpretation of the Bible. The idea of authority, biblical authority, government authority, and freedom was a line that was argued and debated in the church, and that debate even exists today. When Adrian graduated from law school, he headed to the only place a wild man like him could go. He headed to the Americas. That same year in 1649, one crime changed the course of history forever. A young girl named Van Doris was in a local market shop run by a man named Mr. Claw Switz. She was finishing up her order when a young native man walked in. Van Doris finished her shopping and headed out the door. Outside, she suddenly heard a horrible sound, and wondering what had happened, she walked back into the store. The young Indian man was gone, but there, on the ground, was Mr. Claw Swartz, beheaded. This horrible murder sent shockwaves through New Amsterdam. Will Keefe, remember we said we would return to him shortly, held a trial and the young native boy was found guilty. However, he escaped before he could be punished. The townspeople were angry and they wanted him found and killed. Will Keefe put out an order that not only would this young native boy be killed, but his whole village would be killed and burned to the ground to prove a point. The Dutch were not okay with this plan. Joris and the other man, who had formed a group of 12 that represented the Dutch to Will Keefe, 
told him this was not okay. They were all voting against it. Will told them they had no say in it. He was the one in charge and his vote was the only one that mattered. That night, Will sent soldiers to two different tribes, killing men, women, and children, even newborn babies. Homes were burned. It was a horrific, violent, deadly night. The Dutch were heartbroken as well. These were not strangers to them. These were friends. Some of the natives escaped, coming to the Dutch looking for help, thinking maybe another tribe must have attacked them. The Dutch helped them escape, but told them the truth. It was not another tribe. It was them, the Dutch. This was a turning point in history. Nothing would ever be the same again. Joris and Catalina had built a lovely home. Their children had grown and had homes of themselves. They had grandchildren now, but in one night, everything they had built, including the relationships with the natives, was destroyed. The native tribes met together and formed alliances. Tribes that had been bitter rivals were now united, and they had one enemy, the Dutch. Boats were attacked and Dutch were killed. Farmers were attacked and every member of the farm killed. And even small settlements outside of New Amsterdam were attacked and burned to the ground. And even homes in New Amsterdam were burned. Joris and Catalina's home was not burned, but friends who had come with them on that first boat many years ago did have their homes burned. The group of 12 made it clear. They blamed one man, Will Keefe. Now there was no one to trade with and the trading company was losing even more money. So Will Keefe did what all politicians do when they need money. He created a new tax, beer tax. The citizens were so angry, but there was nothing they could do. There was one man in charge, and no matter how evil he was, they were the ones forced to live with the consequences of his actions. This all happened in the year that Adrian arrived, and it was a real-world example of what he had argued for. The people of New Amsterdam wanted to rule themselves. They wanted the 12 men they appointed to be the ones to make the choices, and they wanted the power to be allowed to choose who those 12 men would be. Adrian met with the men and helped them draft a letter to the West Indie Company asking for this exact thing. The West Indie Company was shocked to learn what Will had done and immediately fired him. But they refused the idea of allowing citizens to govern themselves. That was just too ridiculous of an idea. Instead, they sent a man named Peter to govern them. Peter was the son of a Calvinist preacher. And when he arrived to see the godlessness of the city, he was shocked. He immediately set up new laws, such as no drinking beer on Sundays. He visited the Puritan settlements that were close by, who were governed with very strict laws. And he wanted to bring that to the Dutch. He wanted a more pure settlement. Adrian and Peter clashed. Adrian could see that he had a chance to create the world he had dreamed of, where they ruled themselves. Peter wanted full authority. Adrian became the head of the group of 12 men, which had at this point become a group of nine men, and he was appointed the president. Joris was part of these nine men as well. They wanted to be completely free. That meant leading themselves. But Adrian did not become the first president. Instead, because of that, he was banished and sent back to the Netherlands. He spent his time writing and publishing books. He wrote about his ideas of political reform. He also wrote about New Amsterdam, with its amazing animals, land, beautiful seasons. He wrote about the natives who lived life simply but in harmony. He inspired many people 
to leave their homes and move to this new frontier land, the land of possibility. Joris and Catalina lived out the rest of their life in harmony. Their children were also well-respected and their grandchildren as well. The young couple, who had no chance of leaving their position as peasants in the Netherlands, had become founding families of what would eventually be New York. Today, streets are named after them, their children, and their grandchildren. And more than one million Americans can trace their heritage back to this young couple. Joris died February 21st, 1663. Joris and Adrian did not see their idea of a country run by the people come to fruition. But the idea was planted. It would not be a reality until 1776, 113 years after Joris died. As I studied this time period, I was reminded of the verse, There is nothing new under the sun. The same things debated in the church in 1641 is being debated today. We all agree that tolerance is vital to a free society. We thrive under religious freedom. But how far do we take tolerance? Can we be tolerant of all things? Should tolerance itself be law? If I personally do not agree with someone, does that make me intolerant? Or does tolerance allow me the right to be intolerant of something? If I have the right to worship God the way I believe is right, does that give me the right to also not allow someone to worship alongside me if I do not believe that they are following God? The idea of tolerance was a new one, and the Dutch were one of the first to accept it. But it came with these ideas and these questions, ones we still have today. And what about the government? The Bible says we're to obey authority over us. But where is the line between obeying the government and following what is right? If we believe the government is making choices that are immoral, or that will hurt our fellow citizens, do we then as Christians have the duty to oppose our government or to follow our government? Today, our governments are closing down businesses, driving people into poverty, suicide and drug overdoses are on the rise. Do we oppose government lockdowns or do we submit to authority? The government has mandated for many of us that our churches close or open to only a limited number of people. Do we turn people away at the doors as the government has commanded, or do we open our church doors to all people? This is why we study church history, because we are not the first people to have these questions. Others have wrestled with these ideas before. One of the groups of people who wrestled with these ideas at the same time as the Dutch were the Puritans and the Pilgrims. And next week we're going to look at the Puritans and Pilgrims, who were also in the Americas, wrestling these same ideas. But we're not done with the Dutch. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn about scientists and artists from the Netherlands. And we are going to visit New Amsterdam again. This time as a young man arrives in New Amsterdam. But he's on the boat not as an adventurist or as a young lawyer, but as a slave. What does New Amsterdam and the idea of tolerance look like if you're a slave? If you want to know more about the settlements of Manhattan, I recommend the podcast American History Tellers and the Dutch Manhattan series. Although this history podcast comes from a secular viewpoint, it goes into much more detail and I found it very interesting. But you're not going to want to miss the next few episodes as we're going to be looking into some really amazing stories. So make sure you subscribe and I would love it if you left a review. In the meantime, for more podcasts, blogs, and videos, check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com. 